Hello, everyone. My name is DeAndre Sinet, and I am your host for a Distinct Lens podcast. I have a special guest here today. His name is Joseph De Silva. Uh, Joe, I'll, I'll well, I call him Joe for short. He is uh, actually my mentor and also someone I consider a very good friend. Uh, so, Joe, I'll allow you to introduce yourself, uh, tell the people uh, whatever you would like, whether that be your your name, your job title, how old you are, so on and so forth. Great. Thanks, Trey. Um, yeah, Joe De Silva. I am 43 years old. Um, I run an information security function uh, and also have responsibility for compliance at that organization. Um, I live in the UK um, in uh, a place sort of halfway between London and Oxford. Um, yeah. What else do you want to know? Uh, yeah, that's good. That's good. As an initial introduction, I, I appreciate it. Um, so as you're aware, and this is just to reiterate to my guests, uh, a distinct lens is a platform to share the experiences of the Black diaspora in relation to financial literacy so that we can increase the practice of group economics. So I'm really thrilled to have you on the, on the, on the show today, and I'm really interested to delve into the details. I wanted to start off... Um, I see, because uh, I send all of my guests a pre-interview questionnaire, I wanted to start off to ask, um, how was it? Well, not necessarily how, how it was when you grew up, but who did you grow up with and, and were finances talked about in your household? Sure. Um, so I, I grew up with um, my, my parents um, for well, together for a period of time and then uh, not after that for a while. Um, but I grew up with my one brother um finances weren't were they talked about in the household that they were talked about in the sense of me and my brother asking for money um <laughs> but they weren't necessarily talked about in the sense of um of, of planning and my mum had quite a traditional view uh, that, that it probably wasn't the sort of thing that you talked about um in terms of uh earnings or anything like that so I, I never had a clue how much um either of my parents earned um i just knew that we didn't often really have there wasn't anything spare uh that that's that's pretty much um all i knew um th th i suppose my earliest exposure to to financing other than um uh well other than what you would see on the television and uh, getting bank accounts and stuff like that when you're a kid mm -hmm is very you know very very early days um would be i do remember trying to borrow some money off my dad once and because he worked in a bank or and he'd been working he was it was a bank teller originally um and then i think he ended up doing uh like paperwork in the in the in the, in the back office this is like a high street bank um so he was doing loan applications and the things like that processing those for people he was very very rigorous um so he he said yes you can borrow some money but what's your payment plan and uh well he was serious when he said you're gonna he, you're gonna pay me back absolutely absolutely and you would not miss a payment um it's uh, he, he would make sure you didn't miss a payment um mainly because he controlled the money that was going <laughs> into the house uh so um he, he um yeah, I mean, any money that I was getting would have come from him. So if I owed him money, then that would have been taken out before he gave me anything. Um, and th this is like when I'm a when I'm a teenager. So um, this prior to that, I don't think we really had any. Um, th th there wasn't really uh, uh, any conversations about money at all. Okay. So, question: You just um, said something really interesting to me. Uh, you, you said you had to pay your dad back, and this is, was in your teenage years. Did you learn anything from that experience? Um, probably yes, grudgingly. Uh, I think I probably did learn something from that. Um, certainly, I, I learned that you didn't, you couldn't just borrow money without having to pay it back. That that's that's the first thing you learn. Um, I mean, I suppose to a certain extent, I also learned the fact that if you don't have money uh then you don't necessarily uh th there might be a way for you to get money by borrowing it and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is 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 debatable um but it certainly taught me that there was a uh 
uh, th- th- there was a, a a structure, I guess, in in that sort of model. Okay, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Um, so I want to I want to ask a little bit more about when you were younger. So in the household, it wasn't talked about much in your childhood. Teenage years, you learned a lesson begrudgingly, but you still learned it a little bit. Uh, in school, the education system. I know you said you're from the UK. Uh, were you raised, born and raised here? Yeah, I was born and raised here. Um, I I went to school here. Yeah. Although I don't consider myself from the UK. Well, I don't consider myself British, um, but we can get onto that. Okay, okay. Yeah, I I think that's kind of interesting, but I'll I'll come back to that question. So um, in terms of the education system, where did you learn anything in terms of financial management or about money? Absolutely absolutely nothing. No. Wow. Okay. And, And you know, at first I thought this was... Uh, symptomatic of public education system in the United States. Uh, but the mm. more and more people I talk to in the UK, it seems like it's a very, it's, it, it's common here as well. Like there isn't a yeah. focus on money management in the early years. Not not at all. There, there wasn't a single time at school when there was any mention of, of money management um, or, or anything even remotely connected to to money management um mm. that I, I suppose that, that there was i think um so i went to a like a, a state school a comprehensive um and i think if I, I can't remember if there was an option i think there might have been an option in uh, sixth form to do economics although i can't think of anybody in my school who actually did that um Maybe it maybe it wasn't actually. I'm, I'm I'm not convinced now about that. But that would have been the only time that you would have got any exposure to it. There was certainly no um, standard communication or education around anything to do with finances or economics outside of 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 that that optional um, subject. Mm, okay. Uh, and and question just for context for for the listeners, uh, sixth form. Um, those who who don't understand how you progress in the education system, what what port what uh, I guess what sure, part of education would that come in? That's that's the what is often the final two years of your your education. It's from the ages of sixteen to eighteen. Okay. So um, yeah, we, we uh, again it's it's not called that anymore because they've changed all the numbering. <laughs> when I when I went to school, uh, the the numbers went one, two, three, four, five, six. Now they go seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, uh, for for those different stages of um, of your education. Uh, but yeah, sixth form was what we called it, which was uh-huh. the um, yeah that 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 final stage of more um, the, the more advanced learning uh where you do so in in the uk you had what were o levels and then became gcses when i when i was young as the sort of standard secondary education uh and then beyond that you've got a levels um and then after that if you were going to progress that's what you would go on to to use to get into university and, and to go from there but yes age between 16 and 18. ah okay okay so interesting. So I want to go back to what we touched on before. You were born and raised here in the UK, but you don't consider yourself British. Could you unpack that a bit for us? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I am technically an Irish citizen as well as a British citizen. Um, hmm. So Brit- British through birth, Irish through my mum. And uh, yeah, I, I would identify myself as uh, Irish before I identified myself as, as British. Um, and then my dad was from uh, Guyana in the in the West Indies. Um, I, I haven't got Guyanese citizenship um, for, for various reasons, not least as it's not as, uh, as straightforward, but uh, it's also the sort of place that um, if I may find myself voting in elections I haven't voted in uh, if I were. Uh, uh, a citizen of that country. Okay, okay. And uh, do you go back often? No, um, never been back to Guyana. I've been to uh, since my dad's family. My dad came over here when he was ten, um, and he he never went back either. Um, but his family ended up moving some to Barbados, some to Jamaica, 
um, some further afield than that even. Um, but primarily that side of the family sort of settled in Barbados and Jamaica. So I've been to Barbados to see the family there a few times. Uh, and my dad went over there um, just the once, actually. Um, uh, that was the only time he'd been back to the West Indies since since he came to the UK uh, in the 60s. Okay, interesting. Interesting. And I know you mentioned your dad was a bank teller. What did your mom do? She did various things. She was uh, she was a cleaner. Um, she was a uh, sort of, uh, I suppose you call them like a healthcare assistant these days. She um, she she worked at the school for uh, quite a long time that I worked at, um, providing support to um, uh, a kid who was in a wheelchair. So she used to um, be like his day to day assistant there. Um, and that was primarily what she did. Um, and then, yeah, then she ended up working in a, in a similar kind of, um, tax office role after, after her and my dad divorced, um, sort of paperwork processing, that sort of thing. Uh, okay. And from what you could observe, what was her relationship, what relationship like with money? Um, I, I don't think it was, um, she, she never had very much. I mean, my, my dad was the primary breadwinner. Um, obviously, just the, 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 the there was a difference in salary with him working in a in a high street bank and her doing cleaning and uh, supporting somebody because that wouldn't have been a full time job anyway. The, 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 the role that she did um, uh, helping out with the um, with the, 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 the kid in the wheelchair at school. Um, so uh yeah i think she she was always the sort of the, the the lesser party in that relationship in terms of money um it all it all went into the the, the household and uh, looking after me and my brother but uh i don't think she ever really had um much of her own money if if any of her own money it wasn't that my dad controlled it it was just that he had the i guess that he had the purchasing power okay that makes sense. That make, and it sounds like you have a really good understanding of how uh, economics work, is, especially within the household. Um, and the reason I ask that is because on the questionnaire, I, I always ask uh, one. Well, I ask these 10 questions, but one of the questions I ask is how comfortable you are making financial decisions on a scale of zero to 100 and you put 80. So I wanted to ask, um, based on how you grew up, what you learned from your dad, uh, and what you have amassed in terms of knowledge over the years, how did you improve that confidence in making sure. decisions if you weren't taught in the school system or in the household? Sure. Um, so it's primarily self-study and it's out of uh, <laughs> driven by necessity uh, as far as I was concerned, because I never had much money. So I wanted to understand more about what I could do to address the fact that I didn't have much money. Um, and I started working um, early. So I started working when I was 15, um, part time. Um, but I've, I've been working ever since. I've been, I've been working since I was 15, um, whether that's part time or whether that's full time. I've never been unemployed. Um, even when I was a student, I was working when I was a student. Um, Although not for the first year, actually, um, but for the, the rest of the, the university period I was working. Um, but it's it's always been something that I've wanted to do in order to get money to achieve a level of um, independence. I didn't want to be borrowing money from my dad and having to pay him back uh, a pound a week. I didn't want to have to um, struggle to, 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 to pay for food and heating and stuff like that uh after i left university I, I wanted to be able to uh achieve a level of independence and and for me part of that was understanding how to make better use of the money um what things to balance and, and I, I suppose a, a big part of a big part of my education actually did come eventually from my dad um and not not the not the borrowing money when i was a teenager but the uh, post university, not having any money, um, and needing to because working in low paid jobs, but having lots of debt to pay off, uh, that was quite useful to talk to him about that because he had had a 
whole adulthood of uh, dealing with debt and uh, sort of managing that money from a day-to-day basis. So, so that was very useful. And, and that's where I learned about things like um, uh, about restructuring and balancing credit card payments versus loan payments and what you can effectively get away with doing and the, the importance of not letting the, 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 the size of an outstanding debt way too heavily on you because generally as long as you're working there's things that you can do you, you can you can rebalance it so it was um, that was quite useful a number of times when I just had huge credit card debts from um, from because I throughout university I, I had I had a grant and I had student loans um, and but I still needed to spend money on credit cards just to, to, to keep going and I'll be very honest to, to keep myself entertained uh it wasn't i was uh living on baked beans and like a hermit the whole time so i was spending money on on drink and uh and going out um but i had that debt and then at the end of it you sort of go well i've just got these huge huge numbers every month i making the minimum payment and the uh the, the number just isn't going down uh of, of what you you owe the outstanding debt so it was useful to talk to him about that because he'd been in that situation he he did basically i hadn't again hadn't realized this until we'd had this conversation but basically throughout uh his entire life he had been constantly juggling credit cards and loans and um just doing that to make ends meet uh for us and it, it was useful to understand that you don't necessarily have to worry about when are you going to pay the debt off as long as you can continue to service it. Yes, it's mounting up interest, but what can you, you can't do anything about that. So rather than worrying about it, just continue to service the debt. Um, at some point, you should be able to make bigger dents in it when you can start to pay it off, then pay it off then. But um, look at restructuring it. You know, Is there a point at which you can get a a loan to consolidate the, the card debts and all that sort of stuff. So it wasn't necessarily the um, the sort of financial advice that helps you to uh, <laughs> invest. It was how you service debt. And uh, even just the psychological aspects of it in terms of not worrying about it because there's nothing you can do about it, but maintaining uh minimum payments and looking at options uh and also just knowing that other people were going through it and, and had been through it and this was adult life um that was quite useful um to know because even if i had had education at school about finance and uh, sort of household finances i very much doubt they would have led with any messages about you're going to be living for 20 odd years on credit cards and loans because uh, which which unfortunately was the reality and, and and is for most people um but it's the sort of thing that i think that isn't really talked about uh very often and, and you you look at some of the adverts on tv for for some of these services um and they have pictures of very happy people smiling because they've just got a loan or they've just got a credit card but uh it's generally not that uh that smiley when you've got four or five of them that you're juggling and uh, you've just got large amounts of debt. Okay. And that makes perfect sense. You just um, made me think about a few things. So when I talked about your confidence that you build, you you said that was self-study and it was something that you gained over time. And it was something also that uh, you learned a bit from your dad as well. Was there a tipping point where it all just clicked and you said, this is the direction I want to go for my life in a financial sense um was there a tipping point i'm i'm not sure i mean so i did one of the uh, many crappy jobs that i did um i worked in a call center for a finance company mm-hmm. and um and that's <laughs> i hope that doesn't insult anybody who does work in call center jobs for finance companies but everybody i've ever known or worked with even now uh would consider that a crappy job because uh, it ain't fun and uh, until until you've worked in a call center i, I don't think you you really qualified to to, to to say um that you really know what it's like to be doing a hard job because that that is a hard punishing miserable um uh, thankless task for for pretty much most of the the time you're there um 
but because it was a finance company uh, and we were dealing with um, financial advisors were the main people who would ring up uh, as, as well as customers, but mainly it was financial advisors. They encouraged us to do some study on what was then called the financial planning certificate, uh, FTC. I think they've changed it um, many years ago to something else. Um, but that was the sort of thing that a financial advisor had to go through to get qualified. Um, so it was quite useful for that organization to give us all of that course material. So I, I took all of that home and uh, regularly scanned it to try and learn more about my own finances and, and just understanding some concepts, um, but also with the, uh, the intent of trying to build up my uh, level of knowledge for, for the job um, so that it would help me potentially progress within that organization. Um, so that that was probably the tipping point in terms of me learning about things that I'd never previously considered, like pensions and um, understanding more about, I guess, different types of investments. This was around the time that tax-free investments in the the UK were were starting to to change and start to become a bit more more flexible in terms of what you could could do with them. Um, so it was useful to start understanding that. I couldn't use any of the, uh, those products myself because I wasn't earning enough to well, I wasn't earning enough to save anything um, but it was useful to start getting that grounding so that, that's, I suppose that's where the tipping point started with understanding the the variety of what's out there um, but also of understanding the costs that that are baked into these things and the fact that um, there there is just a, a phenomenal industry in creaming money off the top of what people who can afford to save are trying to save um and if you're just starting out and you're not earning very much at all um it, it almost doesn't look worth it because you say well i'm going to put that amount in and you're going to take that off the top of it and um it it, it does definitely exclude a lot of people particularly when you look at some of the uh, investment products in the in the pension space you have to be rich to start with to get any value out of them and they can make you a lot richer but there's such a barrier to entry there for anybody who uh, doesn't have that level of money to, to, to contribute to it and the products that are available to you if you haven't got a lot to contribute are the ones that aren't ever really going to get you out of the the, the socioeconomic situation you're in. Um, th they'll enable you to make, you know, a small return, but the ones that you actually would really need to be able to to get a big return aren't really open to you because you need a bigger chunk of money to get in there in the first place. Plus, they're going to take so much off it in terms of charges that it wouldn't be worth you doing it until you have that amount of money. So. It's yeah, it's it's interesting when you start to see exactly how the uh, financial services industry is very much tiered uh, in the way that our wider society is, and it excludes um, yeah, it excludes large sections from the opportunity to become wealthy. Yeah, and that makes that makes perfect sense uh, because I remember when I first learned about four hundred one ks and retirement planning. That's basically retirement planning in the United mm. States. And um, I learned about company matching a certain percentage. Some companies match up to 6%. And I, I went, once I learned about this, I had a conversation with my parents. And I was like, hey, how much are you guys contributing? So on and so forth. And they were like, the companies we work for don't even offer that at the time when I asked. And I was just yeah. blown away. So I, I was thinking, I'm thinking about the future. I'm like, well, how will you sustain yourselves in a from a financial standpoint, you know, years into the future, because that's what retirement planning is for, you know, that life Absolutely. after work. And it Absolutely. just, yeah, it just wasn't something that A, was made to be important or, and B, something that was even offered with the organizations they were, they were with. So it was, it was, it was a wake up call for me at a very, uh, very young age. Uh, so yes, yeah, that makes and total sense to me. It, it, it's also the case that whether the organization can contribute to it or not, or chooses to contribute to it or not, there's also the question as to whether you can afford it. I mean, I remember the, the very first permanent uh, full-time jobs that I had, they offered pensions and they would contribute to it, but I had to contribute to it 
and I couldn't afford to. I couldn't afford to put the 6% of my salary into that each month because I had so much debt and I had so many outgoings to be able to to just pay the rent and to survive that that six percent was more valuable to me uh at that point in time than it would have been in the future and and if i'd continued in in that sort of that sort of job and had not really been able to to make the 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 progress that i then subsequently made in my career then it it would be something that was always closed off to me and i think they changed pension rules again a few years back to to mean that you could enter them with with a lower salary contribution but still i mean if you're putting tiny percentages of a small salary it's not really going to make that much difference and for a lot of people you might just go what's the point what why bother um and i don't think that's been properly explained to a lot of people um and and there is some complexity to it but I think it can be explained in a, in a much simpler way, but I think there should be more of a uh, more of a push for companies to m- have a mandatory contribution. I, I don't know if that's actually changed now. If they, um, I think there is something about the size of a company that means they have to offer a pension, but I'm not sure if it means they actually have to to contribute, even if the employee doesn't contribute. Mm. Yeah, I, I want to say I know of some organizations in the United States, depending on the size, they are required to do that. But um, those that have the option, you know, it's hit or miss. Um, something else that I was thinking about uh, in what you what you were saying earlier, in, in your journey during that self-study, you mentioned that you had to resurface debt uh, to get out of debt. Uh, I know you were talking about your credit cards. Um, and it sounds like the slow and steady strategy played out well for you. And it sounds like that's the way you came out of debt. Um, I'm not sure if that's exactly how you came out of. And I guess I have a two prong question. Is that Mm -hmm. the way you came out of debt uh, personally? And also, were there any other things that you that you believe contributed to you feeling so confident in making financial decisions today? Sure. Um, Yeah. So it was slow and steady. Um, and it was also, um, it was closely linked with my career journey as well. Um, I, I was, I, I've always been very impatient, uh, and, uh, often not really very satisfied. So I, I, I was approaching my career very much from how quickly can I move on? How quickly can I move up? Uh, what do I need to do in order to progress? And that obviously uh, with uh, came with a higher salary, um, which was the, the motivation in most cases because uh, I was doing jobs where I, I knew that there was a there was a, a time limit whereby I probably wouldn't be able to afford to service the debt anymore because that the, you can only go on for so long. Um, before interest rates go up and you know they start eating away at everything you're putting in is just it's getting bigger and bigger um so i knew i had to earn more in order to have sort of a viable future uh, to a certain extent so the the sort of the drive for me career wise was initially right how do i get more money and with that that meant that i could better service that debt and i could see that i could then start to make a bigger dent in it on a on a monthly basis and you i sort of kept going through that uh route and then you end up working for bigger companies and you may get a um like an annual bonus and then it was right okay so the vast majority of that annual bonus goes towards paying something off and it it just went through that route really so yeah it was slow and steady but i think the emphasis was slow because it it took me i mean it took me well over 10 years to to pay off the all the debt from from that period of my life and it was um yeah i mean it must have been yeah it must have been 12 13 years that it took me to do that now did you have a plan written out or did you just make make sure no. that you were paying the minimum amount i ju- i paid the minimum and then i paid chunks off once i had chunks so if, if i got as i say like a, a bonus um i ended up working for companies that did annual bonuses 
um, then that's where that went. So it was just a case of you, um, yeah, you keep going. And uh, I kept trying to switch them around as well so that you sort of pay less interest um, when there were offers to do. You could transfer debts, particularly on the credit card side of things. And uh, this was around the time when there was loads of um, offers to switch credit cards and you'd get 0% interest for a period of time. And I just took advantage of all of those. And I, I think that was probably also what ended up increasing my knowledge of the market because I was then getting the the, 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 the newspaper articles and the, the, uh, the, the, the best buy tables and all that sort of stuff that said who's offering the best deal. I was uh, hoovering that knowledge up on a, a regular basis and getting the paper every week to find out what was what was new in that market uh so that meant that uh, there was a point where i had quite a lot of knowledge of what was out there uh and who was offering the best deals because i was i was dependent on that knowledge uh because i was then taking advantage of it mm-hmm. um and then your other question sorry is it was what anything else that has led to my confidence in yeah and making those financial decisions outside yeah i mean I think it's experience. I think um, having having gone through a long period of my life where I had to have a very active hand um, has has meant that I've, I've realised that I could manage it, I could cope with that situation, um, that I could get my head around the various different types of products and what was out there in that marketplace and it also gave me i suppose the a hunger for you start to see you making progress uh reducing debt and you start to see that there are options and then once you're out of that debt you start to think about okay well i don't want to get into that situation again and you start looking at the savings side of things and then eventually you start putting away a little bit of money and eventually over time you just start to see that accumulating and you go oh actually yeah i've got 500 pound in the bank um how did how did that happen um and and that gives you confidence because you see you see results i mean i suppose it's the same same with anything Okay. Now, as um, how do how do you manage your money now, or how do you spend money now, uh, as opposed to how you did when you were in your twenties? Um, well, I didn't have money in my twenties, so uh, <laughs> uh, sorry for a lot of us. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I I really wasn't spending money in my twenties because um, I'd I'd spent other people's money in my late teens um and then the chickens came home to roost in my 20s so uh yeah no i wasn't really spending money then so so now i i spend money and i think now um i've been i've been working for 20 plus years and i'm uh fortunate enough uh to be in a position where if i need to buy a record I can buy a record. When I was a kid, I used to have to wait until it was my birthday and then I'd, I'd ask for a record and then maybe you'd get a record or maybe you wouldn't. Um, but it was, it, it, nowadays, I for things like that, I don't think twice because I, think I want that, I'm going to buy that. Um, when it comes to bigger decisions, then I I think a lot more, carefully about about what i'm going to spend and how i'm going to do it and what's the best way to do something and uh i won't necessarily buy something like like if if i were going to buy a car i wouldn't necessarily pay cash for it even if i wanted to buy outright if there was a 0% financing deal because i'd rather have my money in the bank and use somebody else's money at 0%, if you see what I mean, um, if it means that I think I can get a better return on that um, that money, which I, I believe I am not an accountant, is a sort of concept of net present value. Um, but uh, that that's kind, I'm sure you'll know about that from your study. Um, but it's it's that view as to, okay, well, this, this amount of money is worth more to me now um, in a... Uh, 
in a sense that I can invest it, particularly if I can get 0% from somebody else. Yeah, that is exactly correct. Um, that's an excellent point you just made. But I, I want to change gears a little bit. I was just looking at the date. Today is April 20th. And I think back uh, to a year ago at this time, I was back in the States. Um, and this is when the protests had started after yeah. Yeah, the public murder of George Floyd. And the guy, uh, the officer they say is responsible, I want to say his name is Derek Chauvin or something like that. He's on mm. trial right now, and it's, yeah. it's going on in, in the United States. And uh, at that time last year, you know, there were global protests that ensued afterwards. I just wanted to get a little, uh, well, wanted to ask you, um, what, what are your thoughts on that, on, on the protests, what happened in the States, and what your experience has been like in the UK in that regard? Sure. Um, obviously, really really upset, disturbed, shocked, appalled by the whole situation. And, and I think the the thing that I really remember thinking about at the time was how is this happening now? Because I remember being at school and there being, there seeming to be less overt racial violence than there is nowadays mm. and i remember at school um i mean wh where i where i grew up um was was not a particularly um uh i can't think of the right the world it wasn't a particularly rich area um it was a industrial town in the the the, the north midlands and it was there were pockets of um uh, what you would call nowadays sort of white supremacist groups. You, you would you would walk around the town and you would see um, uh, sort of graffiti for these groups. I, I won't name them um, because they shouldn't be named. Um, but there were a number of uh, very uh, uh, sort of bold um, far right sort of fascist organisations, and you, you'd see a lot of graffiti for them. Um, but for most people at my school, they were sort of indicators of a fairly bygone age. I mean, I, I remember talking with with friends about them and it was it was just seen as, yeah, well, it's just sad old skinheads from the 70s who can't let go of something. And it, it felt like things had moved on. And, and, and the people that uh, I was associating with it at schools i mean it, it wasn't a very diverse place um and uh it, it it's a lot better now but it, it was not a particularly diverse place but it was not like you would get a huge amount of overt racism um i mean i i'm not black i i, I there is african blood uh, a, a few generations back in my family but i i am not black my my um Ethnic origin is primarily Latin uh, and and Irish on the on the other side, but um, I was subject to all sorts of uh, racist abuse at school uh, that would typically be aimed at somebody who was black, just through sheer ignorance, and they couldn't figure out what to call me, and um, and they couldn't really figure out what I was. Um, and similarly, uh, there was a friend of mine at school who was uh, who was Indian, um, and he got the same <laughs> kind of phrases thrown at him um because again people could he, he was he was half indian in fact he was half indian half white um and people couldn't figure him out um so in terms of putting categories so it's quite an ignorant place but it was very very limited and it was almost a um uh, uh people just sort of pitied people who used that sort of language and, and and had those sorts of attitudes so then when the the whole george floyd thing happened and and and, and everything else all the, all of the other situations um it just seemed like things should have been better by now uh, and, I, and i remember thinking things should be better by now and they don't seem to be they, they seem to have got a lot worse and um we seem to have to have conversations about things that should be obvious i mean we talk about things like there are no 
black leaders in the FTSE 100. There's, there's, there's no black CEOs, there's no black CFOs. And that, that, that shouldn't be the case, but it also shouldn't be the case that we have to have conversations that say that's wrong, something needs to be done about it. And there seems to be a lot of backward steps being taken by governments, um, by the, the fact that there seems to be a lot of mileage, unfortunately, for a lot of politicians in trying to rail against the the need for greater diversity um whether that's ethnic diversity whether that's gender diversity whether that's disability diversity lgbtq plus diversity there seems to be a lot of mileage that politicians are getting and they don't seem to be being held to account either through the electoral process yeah. or through any sort of governance and I, th I think it's a very dangerous place that that we're in the, the, there's kind of a tipping point um i think that we're not too far away from where th this this could be uh, a very very dangerous road that that is followed by a lot of these politicians okay and thank you for answering that question uh, so eloquently uh, and the reason I asked is I want to tie that back to what you had mentioned before in terms of upward mobility from a socioeconomic standpoint. Um, and it's part of the reason why I asked about um, financial education, well, financial yeah, education in the school system as well as at home. Do you think or do you believe that would make a difference in those economically deprived communities that most mostly black and brown people come from yes definitely um i i think i think there is definitely an aspect of understanding how credit works um understanding how savings work um understanding the the psychology and the psychological tricks in particular um, that are used to get people into unsustainable levels of debt. Um, it's not that debt is bad. Um, and that is one thing that um, I remember my dad drilling into me um, from quite an early age. Uh, and I'm sure it wasn't just because he worked in a bank, um, but drilling into me that debt is not bad. It's not inherently bad. Uh, you will spend the vast majority of your life in debt. So you can't approach it as something to be afraid of, but it is something you've got to treat with respect. Um, and I think learning that sort of thing at school would have been uh, and, and would still be very beneficial for a lot of people. But I think also understanding and get, getting visibility of financial role models, of seeing people who have, um, through planning, through the, the slow and steady stuff that we talked about, through um education have got themselves out of a a hole and if you're in a economically deprived community and you're surrounded by people who are in debt and not getting out of debt um then of course you're going to have a different relationship to it but if you are given a sense of um if you're given the information that shows that that doesn't have to be forever. It might be for a long period of time, but it doesn't have to be forever. And these are the methods that you can use, and this is how you can service that debt and not let it take over your life. And these are the things that you need to look out for in terms of interest rates and stuff like that. I mean, I think that the, the situation for people who are in a, a deprived situation is way worse now than it was when I was growing up, but it's slightly better than it was a few years back because there has been some increased regulation on extortionate interest rates and things like that. But I, I mean, I had, um, I was paying rates of 20 plus percent uh, on my credit card debt. Uh, and that, that that's a huge, huge number. Um, but that was pretty standard. It was kind of 17 to 20% was, was what you would get as a standard rate. Um, but then over the course of the two sort of mid 2000s, I think you would see adverts regularly where it was up in the thousands 
uh, you'd see like 5,000% APR on some of these products that were being pushed to people who couldn't afford uh, to, to, to make the minimum payments and would never, ever get out of that spiral of debt. And some of that has been um, cracked down on in terms of those levels of debt. But you still occasionally see things where it's in the hundreds. It's like three, four hundred percent on payday loans and things like that. Yeah. Um, I, I would absolutely have ended up sucking into some of that stuff. Um, at the point where I, I just didn't have the money and you'd get offers through. And if I didn't have the the level of knowledge to understand exactly what those numbers meant in small print, uh, that once you were in, you're basically screwed because if you're not paying off that full amount, then just the minimum payment means that it's going to be ballooning out of control within a matter of months. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think the education piece is absolutely crucial, um, but it's got to be realistic education. You can't go and talk to people at school and say, right, if you save 50 pound a month uh, from the age of 18, you'll be a millionaire by the time you're 50, because a lot of people aren't going to be able to afford to save 50 pound a month. Certainly not when they're at 18. And most people won't start saving until their mid 30s at the earliest. And for uh, a huge number of people in this country, they're never going to be able to save anything more than the odd 10, 20 pound here and there. And if you can get an understanding of what could be done with that and what the different products are that might be suitable for you, then that would be that would be invaluable. But financial advice you have to pay for. So, again, it's the barrier to entry. Uh, and if you really want to be able to, to turn um a, a small amount of savings into something that is approaching what you would consider to be wealth, then you really need to know those products. And if you have to pay somebody else to tell you what those products are and how you access them, then you're just giving away more money and uh, you just end up in, in that, um, that spiral. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just thinking, I just hearing you talk and summarize all of those different points. Um, I think that's some really good information for the listeners. Uh, what I like to do is something new uh, to close off the session. Uh, I like to have a final thought to our listeners. So mm -hmm. of the things that we've discussed or maybe haven't discussed, what do you think would be one of the biggest takeaways that someone listening right now could do? Um, whether they're just starting their careers or they're already well into their careers or they might be considering retiring soon. What is what is something that you say they could take away from from this recording and that they could apply right now? Sure, I, I think educate yourself. Um, uh, make sure you understand. It's some of this stuff is uh, not necessarily the most interesting read, um, but at least understand. The, the the basics of um of of loans of credit cards of savings and investments even if it's just reading the uh the, the kind of money pages in in various newspapers um but be very careful that people are trying to sell you stuff and particularly if you're reading stuff online and again i'm i'm of an age where uh i don't i don't live online i don't get my news from uh from social media but i know a lot of people do but everything that you're seeing on social media that relates to financial products is because somebody's trying to sell you something now of course it it is that to a certain extent in the newspapers as well now um but there is still more unbiased advice out there i think in in trusted sources rather than on 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 social media but that that might just be my age um but i think you've got to take account of, we've got to take some responsibility for um, learning the basics of this and not relying on other people. Uh, I mean, that's, there are so many things that are out to catch you out and it can be so opaque to a lot of people that it just turns them off entirely. Um, and I would say push through that, push through that, um, that frustration with the, the, the opaqueness the opacity of the uh the, the product details and what it is and what it does for you and what the 
interest rates mean and all that sort of stuff to just understand the basics. And I think that certainly is the case for for loans. And I think it comes to investments and savings. There's more there's more that you would have to read. But again, I think it's worth it. And if you do get in the situation where you can start to save, then you should save. But you should also be doing more than just putting it into cash. And uh, if you understand the, the how inflation is going to eat away at any cash that you have, even if you're putting £10 a month away, um, as long as you can confidently say that you're not going to need that £10 a month for a decent chunk of time, then it shouldn't be going into cash. It should be going into something that, that's got a bit more risk but has got the potential for more reward. Um, but again, there's, there's a need to understand that and to, to say, I, I'm going to put this money away and I'm going to be able to not touch it and I'm going to be confident that I'm not going to need to touch it for this period of time. Otherwise, yeah, it should be in cash because you never know when the car's going to break down. You never know when the, the boiler's going to stop working. Um, but if you've got that emergency rainy day kind of cash already, if you're fortunate enough to have that that says, right, if the boiler breaks down, I probably have got some money to be able to fix it and I can still save an extra X amount of money a month, then if you can lock it away for five, 10 years, that's how you will make the, the the wealth that that's how you will start to actually create something that uh, is a uh, a sizable chunk of money well thank you joe uh it's been a pleasure thank you uh, it's been it's been an honor uh thank you for asking me you're welcome you're welcome i would ask everyone to listen to this on every platform where uh, podcasts are available 